Hey guys, Gerard Marone here, Director of Contemporary Media at Tower Hill Church, sitting with Pastor Jason. So we wrapped up the For Them sermon series today and have our big Sunday of Thanksgiving. So what are we what are we looking for with this this message? Yeah, this is the last of the three-parter on on For Them, filling the cup for this generation and the next. And you know, the first two installments we talked a lot about the uh, the theology about what is the nature and purpose of the church and the fact that it's never really been about church buildings. It's about the people who've been called out uh, to share the good news with the world. And last week we talked a bit about what does that look like to share the good news with younger generations in a way that they understand, um, which went really well. We had a lot of great conversation around that. And then today is all about, okay, well, not just younger gen- generations, but how do we speak the language of the gospel in culture? Because, you know, I, I think the way Christians handle it sometimes is we kind of put our heads in the sand a little bit or we try to escape from culture. Mm-hmm. And we say, you know, I'm just going to hang out with my church people or I'm just going to invest my time in building up uh, the church uh, or, or like the activities and programs of the church when really... Uh, that's not enough. It's really about, so how do I engage the people who aren't followers of Jesus in a way that they understand? I read this really great stat that really shaped the sermon a lot, and it was that 20% of Americans say that they do not personally know a Christian, Hmm. which is crazy, right? Because we know they do, the numbers say, of course they do, but the point is they don't realize that they're Christians. Mm -hmm. And I know that we have this whole stealth Christianity thing going on where, you know, we we St. Francis, right? So, Use words only when necessary. I think we need to use some words. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think we use that a little bit as a crutch mm-hmm. for not ever saying anything about our faith. And you know, just like the Apostle Paul used the language of culture to say something true about Jesus. So that's what we're called to do. So today is really all about like imagining the what if. What if we started doing that together as a church more? What could change? What could happen? And so, uh, and we're just super thankful. It's the end of the faith forward capital campaign. We're thankful for that. We got mission opportunities today. We want to express our thanks with action. And so uh, that's what today's all about. Yeah, it's great. There's been continuous pancakes all day. Continuous. Um, Personally, for me, it was great to see the entire right side of our Webster Hall full of mana bags that are about to be sorted. So we were hoping to go one for one this year, and and we'll see if we get closer. We we came pretty close last year, so we shall see. So the last thing just to, to ask as we wrap up, is there a a specific scripture reading or a place that we see this example set for using culture to be able to discuss um, the message of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, there are there are several places, especially in the New Testament, where you get some nice pictures of that. One that I talk about in today's sermon is uh, Paul's visit to Athens. And uh, many of you have heard this story before, but I think just the way in which he engages with culture to share the gospel is absolutely the pattern. What we have to... Uh, remind ourselves is that this is the nature and purpose of the church. This is what we should be doing. And I think it's great. It's from Acts 17. So hopefully uh, our listeners will engage with that today. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoy week three of the For Them series here, the last of this sermon series. And stay tuned now as we head into the Advent season, as we get into that sermon series leading up to... The gifts of Christmas. Leading up to that that great, great Christmas day. Uh, Have a great day. Enjoy the sermon. Today's the final message in this series we've been doing called For Them, Filling the Cup for This Generation and the Next. 
And it really gets to the heart of what it means to follow Jesus, that what God has done for us, we have been called to do for them. And I'm really glad, if this is your first Sunday here, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to the other two parts of this series, but, uh, or if you're new to this church, I'm, I'm really glad that you've seen this series because it really pulls back the curtain on the why behind the what we are trying to accomplish as a church. And so I'm going to go uh, real quick through these slides just to review, because a lot of them were addressed uh, by the video just now. But we started by asking the question, what is the church and what is its purpose? And the first thing is that it, is, it has never been the building. I mean, buildings are great. We love buildings. We spend a lot of money making them uh, good places to do ministry for all generations. And we put a lot of resources into making that happen. But the church has always been about the people. Those who have been called out and sent by God to do what? To do this purpose. Go ahead to the next one. To proclaim the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ in a way that people understand. That last part's so important. So important. And God has uniquely equipped his followers to do just that. Because what was the very first gift that the Holy Spirit ever gave to the ecclesia? It was on the day of Pentecost. It was the gift of speaking in tongues. Not, not gibberish. Speaking in tongues. Speaking in foreign languages so that they could understand the good news of Jesus. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The problem, is, of course, is that with a lot of institutions in America, the church included... But even a lot of businesses, you know, we talked about Kodak, we talked about some of these other major institutions that declined or closed their doors because they were never able to adapt their methods to serve their mission. This has been the big problem of the church over the last few decades, is that it has it largely been slow on adapting its method. The mission never changes. The word of God never changes. The message of Jesus never changes. But the way we communicate that message needs to change, change as fast as the language of culture. Or it's like changing tack to catch the wind on a sailboat. Right? The wind changes directions. You don't just, well, guess we're not going anywhere now. Or you don't fight the wrong direction. You try to catch it. And this is what we're trying to do as a church. Because the result is the church has largely not readjusted its sails. And so what has happened? That by generation, if you look at all the generations coming up, that the younger you go, the less likely you are to attend church at all. In fact, 36% of everybody 29 and under would declare themselves, their religious preference, none of the above. That's a lot of people. Because the church, in a lot of ways, has failed to connect with them. The church must remember that its whole purpose is the same as God's. It's for them. God doesn't strike me as the kind of God that's like, all right, what's in it for me? No, he, he gave everything for them, for us, for the world. 
Before them, of course, is more than just speaking to younger generations, although that's really, really important. I mean, we're always, Christians have always been one generation away from extinction. Our ability to hand off our faith to our children is directly related to our ability to speak the wonders of God in their language. But it's more than just generational languages. It's the language of our world. I mean, think about it. My gosh, the church. How many of you, raise your hand if you think, people who don't go to church largely have a positive view of the church. That most people have a positive view of the church, whether they come to church or not. Not many. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of that, sadly, is largely deserved. People think the church is a place that's greedy, selfish, bigoted, homophobic, misogynistic. List, 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 list. In a lot of ways, we've earned that, sadly. I mean, my goodness, there are pastors out there telling their congregation they need to give them more money so they can buy a Gulfstream jet for their ministry. True story. A Gulfstream jet. What is that? And, you know, think about even just how culture, it's like um, the church is always the butt of the joke. Or it's always the target of the cynicism. Even, I mean, last year, wonderful movie, Spotlight, was all about what? It was all about the, you know, going on in the Catholic church. All the scandal going on with priests in the Catholic church. And it was a wonderful movie. And, I mean, listen... The church earned that criticism. However, it also perpetuates the idea that the church as we know it is the enemy. It is not, the church is not for us. The church is for themselves. But I don't know. I don't know that the turning the tide of the cultural response to the church is as impossible as we might think it is. Here's why I say that. When asked, so George Barna does a lot of research, and uh, you know, his organization does a lot of research. When asked the question to people across all ages and stages, why do you not attend church? The top two reasons had nothing to do directly with scandals or the church being selfish or, or anything like that. The top two responses across all people who were asked were, 40% said it's because I find God elsewhere. I don't know. To me, that's a hopeful start. First of all, you're acknowledging there is a God. All right, good. The second reason, 35% said because the church is not relevant to me personally. To me, that doesn't sound like most people who are asked would say I would never go to church. They're just saying, I have not found God there, and it does not relate to me personally. Those two things are related, by the way. There was a uh, blog uh, post by Carl Vaders uh, about a year ago, and he threw out this statistic, which blew my mind. Uh, and, and this statistic was given by Christianity Today in a research study that they did. Check this out. 20% of Americans say they do not personally know any Christians. 20%. That's the population of Los Angeles. 
say they do not know anything. Now, of course, they probably do. But the thing is, the Christians in their lives aren't saying that they're Christians. Or, or they're not identifiable as followers of Jesus in any way. 20%. And see, this is the huge problem he goes on to explain. This is a crucial problem. Because there's one reason above all others that opens people up to the gospel. People become willing to consider Jesus when they like and trust the Christians they know. We have to be the church before they'll go to church. This is so true. This is true more nowadays than it ever was. It used to be that you had faith, you believed, and then you would belong somewhere. You would believe and then you would join a church and you would belong. Today, it's the opposite. For many people, belonging comes before believing. And how are they going to belong if 20% of them say they don't even know any Christians? You see the problem. The thing is, it's always been about the church being the church, building relationships with people and sharing the love of Jesus with them. And the thing is, what we've done essentially is we've taken the best news ever and we've made it totally ununderstandable, right? We have made it gibberish to people because we are not speaking their language. There's a very literal example of this from a friend of mine, Matt. Uh, Matt was a friend that I met in seminary, and he, what, he grew up in the Salvation Army. And one of the things that he had an opportunity to go to Germany to do a mission trip there when he was a teenager. So he goes on this trip, and it was just him and one other teenage girl. And this uh, German woman who was running everything who was very, he said, very intimidating and uh, very, like, stern with them about what they had to do on their mission trip. And the girl who was with them played guitar. And he said, here's what you're, the two of you are going to do. You're going to go into this bar, mind you, German bar, in the middle of Germany, right? Yeah, like, go into this bar, and you're going to sing for them, Lord, I lift your name on high. For those who don't know that song, it's, uh, it's a praise and worship song from like the 1990s, early 1990s. Lord, I lift your name on high, right? It's classic. You're going to go sing that for them. So they go into this bar, these two teenagers, and clearly nobody in the bar expected them to be there that day. Right? This was not prearranged in any way they discovered. It's just a bunch of people like shooting pool, sitting at table. Like They go in and, and the lady's like, go, do it. They start singing, Lord, I lift, awkwardly, Lord, I lift your name on high. They get through the whole song, and they just, Matt, he was just saying, I just wanted to die. I just wanted to curl up and die. So not only did they probably not all know English, but were singing this song uninvited to a bunch of people that clearly uh, had better things to do than to listen to us sing, Lord, I lift your name on high, and they ran out the door. And I feel like this is largely what the church has done. We end up speaking the truth of God, and we're just going to talk at them. We're just going to talk at all the non-believers. And if we just sing, Lord, I lift the name on high to them, they will all come to know Jesus, when in fact, it's not even the language that they understand. You see what I'm saying? The church has hardly spoken over people's heads, because we're so worried about our theological precision that we forget that theology is no good without ministry of living the faith. Of being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So what does it look like then to be the church? How do we become more effective at being the church? 
What does that mean for us? I think we've got a couple great examples from the New Testament. The first is a missionary trip that the Apostle Paul took to the city of Athens. Now, Athens was uh, very religious. You, you say very? I mean, like, they believed in everything. And they even had statues to gods that say, like, an unknown god, just in case they missed one. The just-in-case god. Just in case we've been praying to the wrong god, whoever you are, we got something for you, too. I mean, they were, and they were real big on philosophy. And all, all people did was they just loved to just talk about ideas all day. Sounds like I would have loved it. Just talk about ideas all day. And they would do that in the marketplace. They would do that in the synagogues at times. And then if you had a really good idea and people thought you were super interesting, they'd invite you to this special gathering of elite intellectuals, uh, uh, something called the Aeropagus, which is at the top of this mountain. And you would get invited to speak in front of kind of the most esteemed uh, philosophical minds to share your really cool ideas about life, God, whatever. So here's Paul going into this city and seeing what it's like. Watch how he engages it. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He's literally just like striking up conversation and reasoning with everybody he comes in contact with. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Ah, he got invited. Where they said to him, may we, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. Nice one, Paul. He's so brilliant. Oh, my gosh. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. What a beautiful example of him using culture. And he's not like speaking hate against them. He's not hating on the culture. He's not like, well, you guys are really stupid. Like, you're worshiping all these gods. Like, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't critique the culture. He uses what they understand, their culture, their language, and he leverages it to say something true about God. This is the art that we have all forgotten The art of engaging with language to say something true about God. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So it wasn't this massive, like, then everybody believed in Jesus, amen. 
But you know what? Paul chipped away at the barrier that was between them and Jesus. So I think one way that we have to learn how to be the church again is to reason with the people in our culture, to bring Jesus into culture. I think there's some really fascinating trends happening, and I think they reflect both good and bad things. One of the trends is mega churches are getting bigger, even though less people are going to church. Mega churches are getting bigger. I think this is tied to 20% of Americans say that they don't know any Christians. I think what's happening in our culture is that Christians are more interested in kind of being with their own kind rather than spending their time reaching out to people who do not follow Jesus because it's more comfortable. I think, I think one of the rise of megachurches is like, yeah, this is awesome, man. More, like more of us. This is really exciting and fun. But I think what happens sometimes is we forget that our whole purpose is not so we have a holy huddle of all the Christians together and we start just hanging out and spending all of our time with one another, but rather that we are equipped then to go out and to reach those who need to hear it. And I'm not a megachurch hater. I think they do a lot of things right. I just think, I think part of the reason for the trend is, is the desire for Christians to hang out with more Christians. That's not a horrible desire, but I think sometimes what gets lost is, then, then what time are you spending engaging in those people in your life that God's placed you in front of to talk about what it means to follow him? Many of us have been silent to the people who need to hear the love of Jesus the most. And you know I don't mean like preach at them. No singing, Lord, I lift your name on high to the Germans, okay? Not at them. Engaging with them. I think another way that we learn to be the church is by something that Jesus did and taught. If we go to uh, Matthew chapter 9. Here's just a snapshot of Jesus and his ministry. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. First of all, just notice, he went. It didn't say, Jesus hung out in the desert and waited for all the people in the towns and villages to come see him so he can bless them with the gospel. No, he went. Teaching in their synagogues. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And that word compassion is, is much more um, almost violent than we think it is when we read it in the English. But this word for compassion is like his insides turned. He was so moved, like gut-wrenched at the state of people. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I think the next way that we are are the church, that we be the church, is to make sure that we are teaching and providing healing and having compassion and praying to remember that this is all about them, that we need to have compassion. That's why we do all these missions. And missions go far beyond. It's not just that we're writing checks so that we can give out the turkeys and we're filling bags to give out groceries. That's all good. Or or toys for kids in the area. That's all good. But it's not just that. Being about God's mission is what it means to follow God in the first place. Our whole lives are oriented around because of what God has done for us. We do everything for them. Why do we do it for them? Because it's for him. Imagine what a difference this would make in our world. 
as we finish up, I, I want to share a story. A true story about a man who grew up in the 1950s. He, uh, he was raised in a Catholic home. And uh, he had some bad experience of uh, Catholic church when he was growing up. And by the way, I hope you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not critical of the Catholic I'm, I'm okay with the Catholic church. I really am. Um, this just happens to be his story. He had a bad experience with the Catholic school. He said that he got his hand slapped by the nuns. He used to talk about that all the time. He, used to, he had a lot of baggage about his um, Catholic school upbringing. Um, he, unfortunately, also uh, was abused by a distant relative when he was very young, this man. And it led to a pattern of anger and uh, alcohol abuse. When he was in his late teens, early 20s, uh, he was driving drunk in a VW bug, and he was in a massive car accident, almost lost his life. Uh, He was read last rites by a priest in the hospital, and he had had to have triple bypass open-heart surgery and a Dacron patch on his aorta, and he survived. He survived. But his anger uh, with God... And his struggle with substance abuse never stopped. He did get married. He married a woman um, who, had a, who had a son already. And then they together had two children, two more children together. He ended up having his own business. Uh, but even while things were going great, he was still very verbally and even sometimes physically abusive with his family. Over the years, his drug abuse took a sour turn when his mother died. And all of that anger and everything from his past came out. And uh, he proceeded to have three drug overdoses in the course of a year that affected his brain permanently. Um, He continued to kind of break his family apart, and he was losing them one bit at a time. He himself ended up going to prison for abusing a child. Not in, in the family, but outside the family. And then he did finally die when he got out of prison of a drug overdose. And he was all by himself in an apartment with absolutely nobody in his life. I wonder what would happen to my stepdad if he had known some Christians who could love him and show him that there was good news despite all the pain. I wonder what would have happened to my family and to him. How would things be different if some group of Jesus followers helped him belong so that he could believe? I think about that a lot. And that's why I'm so passionate about not missing an opportunity to reach people. Because we don't know what people are going through. But we do know that God is the answer. And I tell you this story not because I'm trying to like emotion you or like manipulate you emotionally. I'm telling you this story to get a sense of what's at stake. Lives, real lives are at stake with what we do as a church. If you all just want to play church with me and we'll come here every week and we'll pat each other on the back and say nice things to each other, then I am out. 
and I hope you are too. This is about moving the needle for the kingdom of God. And so we've talked about how you can get involved. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. We talked about, you know, it'd be awesome to get everybody in on the Faith Forward campaign as a real practical way of showing, you know, we're trying to get this done. Uh, the next one is, is this Lead for Them event that we are doing in a couple of weeks where if we want to learn how you could be a part of what we're doing, uh, you know, if you are already an elder or deacon or you're leading in some way in the life of the church or you're interested in figuring out where's your spot to help volunteer and get involved, I want you to come to this. We got childcare, we got lunch, we're trying to remove the obstacles for you so that you can be here and be part of that day. And then third, and, and this is something you can do today, this is what today is all about, it's about giving outward. You could participate in a mission opportunity. We have many here that we support. You might have others in your life that you want to support. But it's you you participate in the mission. That does something to your heart. It helps you think more outward than inward. And to remember that it is all for them. And let's continue filling the cup for this generation and the next. Amen. Amen.